This is Finding Center, a daily half hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is Following the Path of Truth. Craig H. Hart, a BYU professor of human development in the School of Family Life and an associate dean in the College of Family, Home, and Social Sciences when this devotional is given, will give his address entitled, Our Divine Nature and Life Decisions. I appreciate the opportunity to share this devotional hour with you and pray that what I have to say might be uplifting and meaningful in your lives. Leading into my topic on our divine nature and life decisions, I would like to briefly reminisce about a couple of my BYU experiences as a student. These might be applicable to some of you in the decisions that you are currently making. It was 30 years ago this summer that my wife, Kirstine, and I first met in a family home evening group activity at the Smithfield House. As the weeks passed, Kirstine would mysteriously show up at my table at the Deseret Towers cafeteria whenever I was eating lunch, which was often at a different time each day. I quite liked that, but really wasn't interested in pursuing anything serious until my elders quorum president pulled me aside one day. After listing off some of Kirstine's great qualities, he asked me to help him find a way to enjoy having lunch with her on a regular basis like I was. Suddenly, I got very interested, and the rest is history. I've always wondered if she set him up to do that. Both of us well remember our first few months of marriage, living in a studio apartment south of campus, tucked under Mexican and Italian restaurants and a bakery. We have many interesting memories of the place, including the black oozy slime that crept out of the shower drain each morning. Our oldest son, David, was conceived shortly after we were married. Morning sickness mixed with the smells wafting down from the eateries above made for particularly poignant memories. Much like now, it was a time of economic uncertainty. We started our lives together in the midst of long gas lines due to oil shortages, two back-to-back recessions, double-digit inflation, and double-digit interest rates. But we moved forward with our family in faith that all would work out. At the time, I was teaching Japanese to missionaries at the MTC. Our rent was $110 a month, including utilities, a real bargain. I was making about $250 per month, so we were set, both of us attending BYU until complications with pregnancy and a premature baby postponed Kirstein's schooling until many years later. Like many of you now, I was seeking inspiration and struggling to decide what to major in and what career path I should pursue. It wasn't until I started taking child development and psychology classes from wonderful BYU faculty mentors that I discovered my academic passion that led me to a research and university teaching career. After nine years of post-marriage camping out, as some relatives used to call it, We left graduate school behind. It has been a fascinating journey over the past couple of decades, witnessing and being part of the scientific enterprise in my discipline. New discoveries that have helped explain how the complex interplay between nature and nurture works to facilitate child and adolescent development for good and for ill have captivated my attention. Yet it is humbling to realize that studies in my discipline only capture a mortal millisecond of eternity in the lives of our Heavenly Father's children. Without an understanding of our spiritual personalities that existed prior to mortal birth and eternal progression that continues beyond mortality, secular knowledge about human development will always be limited. 
Today I would like to focus on our spiritual personalities as an essential part of our eternal identity. Our divine nature stems from our premortal existence. Understanding who we are from an eternal perspective can help guide decisions that we make every day. Let us first consider what has been revealed about our pre-earth life and our spiritual personalities. Every prophet since Joseph Smith has reiterated the reality of our premortal existence and the eternal identity of our spirits. This is illustrated in an earlier statement by the First Presidency in 1912. Before our mortal birth, we had a pre-existent spiritual personality as the sons and daughters of the Eternal Father. This doctrine was highlighted more recently in the family, a proclamation to the world. All human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit, son, or daughter of heavenly parents, and as such, each has a divine nature and destiny. Gender is an essential characteristic of individual premortal, mortal, and eternal identity and purpose. Numerous biblical passages afford glimpses of our spiritual origins and eternal potential. For example, the Apostle Paul reminded us that we are the offspring of God and that God is the Father of spirits. Some years ago, a colleague of mine who was a devout member of another Christian denomination was curious about our beliefs. As I answered questions that touched on this plan of salvation, we read together about the Apostle Paul on Mars Hill in Athens, stating that we are the offspring of God. After a moment of reflection, he asked, Do you realize the implications of these passages? I thought I did, but soon realized he had picked up on something quite profound. He said, It looks like the Apostle Paul is addressing non-members of the church here and referring to them as the literal offspring of God. I have always thought of children of God as only referring to those who accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But this makes me wonder if there isn't more to this. Although he declined my invitation to meet with the full-time missionaries, he did do considerable research on his own and concluded that the doctrine of the premortal existence had once been a part of his religious tradition and that of many others. This actually made him more committed to his own faith. I learned from him, and later confirmed on my own, that the doctrine of a premortal existence was a common theme that was widely taught and written about by early Christian theologians and scholars until a council in A.D. 543 when it was branded as heresy. How blessed we are to have this plain and precious truth not only restored in our day, but elaborated by modern revelation in ways that provide direction and meaning in our lives as we consider our divine nature and destiny. Gender is also an essential characteristic that originated in the premortal realm. President Boyd K. Packer reminded us that the scriptures and teachings of the apostles and prophets speak of us in premortal life as sons and daughters of God, spirit children of God. Gender existed before and, not, and did not begin at mortal birth. He also encouraged us to be careful lest you unknowingly foster influences and activities which tend to erase the masculine and feminine differences that nature has established. The origin of gender is a heatedly debated topic in my discipline. Competing theories and research abound that attempt to explain gender origins that focus on the extent to which it is modifiable, socially constructed, biologically driven, or all of the above. We are blessed with a secure knowledge that gender is a vital part 
of our eternal identity and purpose. As I contrast this with the confusion and inconclusiveness of the secular data at hand, I am grateful for our understanding of the divine role that gender plays in our eternal progression. As in our mortal existence, we had opportunities to obtain knowledge, progress, and make eternally defining decisions in premortality. We participated in the council in heaven, learned of our Heavenly Father's eternal plan for our destiny, progressed as far as we could without a physical body and mortal experiences, and chose to prove our willingness to keep God's commandments while in a mortal state where there would be no recollection of our premortal experiences. We also learned that our Heavenly Father would provide a Savior so that we could overcome sin and death. Because we are here upon this earth, we kept our first estate. You and I made the decision to follow our Heavenly Father's plan rather than give heed to Satan's plan, which would have resulted in an inability to make choices for ourselves and to learn from our own experiences. As we will contemplate shortly, knowledge of our eternal identity and the decisions we made in premortality can help us make wise choices in our mortal existence. We also had the opportunity in premortality to develop many talents and abilities that can play an important role in our mortal existence. Consider the following statements. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said, Being subject to law and having their agency, all the spirits of men, while yet in the eternal presence, developed aptitudes, talents, capacities, and abilities of every sort, kind, and degree. During the long expanse of life, which then was, an infinite variety of talents and abilities came into being. Earlier, President Joseph F. Smith taught, Notwithstanding this fact that our recollection of former things was taking away, the character of our lives in the spirit world has much to do with our dispositions, desires, and mentality here in mortal life. This spirit influences the body to a great extent, just as the body in its desires and cravings has an influence on the spirit. Environment and many other causes, however, have great influence on the progress and destiny of man. But we must not lose sight of the fact that the characteristics of the spirit, which were developed through the many ages of a former existence, play a very important part in our progression through mortal life. In this regard, I often think of Cain, who the scriptures refer to in Moses as one who is a rebel, a liar, and an associate of Lucifer in the pre-existence. He was even called perdition from before the world. Yet somehow he managed to make good choices that helped him attain mortal birth and even began his time in mortality being obedient to the laws of God. Unfortunately, he later rebelled and slew Abel. Despite the righteous teachings of Adam, we can only speculate as to what might have happened to entice him back to his former proclivities. Alternatively, the teachers teach that there were many noble and great ones who were good from before the world. Nephi was likely one of those valiant ones who exercised his agency in responsible ways. He had great desires to know the mysteries of God and did not rebel against his father as his brethren Laman and Lemuel did. Yet all three brothers were born of goodly parents. Although we cannot speculate as to the reasons for why things played out the way that they did for these more and less valiant spirits in mortality, we have a unique opportunity to learn things about ourselves that stem from our premortal decisions and predispositions. Patriarchal blessings can guide our life decisions and often provide glimpses into premortal aspects of our existence in ways that can provide warnings 
admonitions and guidance about our gifts and talents that can bless our lives and those around us. In mortality, every person is endowed with spiritual gifts and talents that are part of their divine nature that can be refined, developed, and enlarged as a result of earthly experiences. Everyone also has characteristics that are less than complete, as reflected in the lack of aptitude and talent in some areas. We learn in ether that weaknesses can foster humility and that weak things can become strong if individuals humble themselves and have faith in God. Strengths and weaknesses can provide opportunities and learning experiences depending on the circumstances individuals find themselves in and the extent to which opportunities are availed. I received my mission call during a time when we had to take a language aptitude test. When my state president saw my score, he laughed and said, well, you won't have to worry about going foreign. I've never seen such a low score. Imagine my surprise when the call to Japan came. I didn't even know where it was on the map. <laughs> Learning Japanese was the hardest thing I've ever done at that time, up to that time. Yet, as many of you have experienced, the Lord miraculously prepared a way. And it wasn't long before I knew exactly why I had been sent there. Those language skills, the cultural experience, and the converts I worked with have been a blessing in my life to this day. Regardless of our talents and abilities, or the lack thereof in some areas, all individuals also have both goodness and fleshly susceptibilities within them. President David O. McKay summarized the nature of humankind. He said, Man has a dual nature, one related to the earth or animal life, the other akin to the divine. Unquote. Before baptism and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, all received the light of Christ to discern good from evil. We came from the heavenly realm and are born into a world of sin beset with temptations for the natural man, but also full of spiritual opportunities for growth for the divine. Being born innocent is being born neither good nor evil, but having the potential for both. The natural man in us grows as a result of sin and our rejection of the promptings of the Spirit, whereas our divine nature is manifest when we give heed to those spiritual promptings and reject sin. There has been much to contemplate so far today. To review briefly, we lived in a pre-mortal existence as spirit sons and daughters of heavenly parents. While there, we had opportunities to develop talents, obtain knowledge, and make decisions that play important roles in our mortal existence. In mortality, everyone is endowed with spiritual gifts and talents that are part of our divine natures, as well as with opportunities to develop characteristics that are less than complete. We are also born innocent, with the potential to engage in both good and evil, depending on our choices in mortality. Let's now further consider mortal decision-making opportunities that are part of this mortal experience. As with our pre-mortal existence, our mortal schooling is replete with opportunities to make choices that will either turn us toward or take us away from our divine destiny in our heavenly home. King Benjamin in the Book of Mormon reminds us to watch ourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds and to observe the commandments of God and continue in the faith so that we perish not. We need to be vigilant and avoid making poor choices that can take us down forbidden paths. Remembering who we are as spirit children of God and all that means can be very helpful. Some good choices are easy to make if we have made firm decisions in accordance with our eternal values in advance. 
Several years ago, after attending professional meetings in Europe, I had the pleasure of being bumped to first class on a flight from Paris to the United States. It was an entirely different world than what I normally experience. As I was enjoying the leg room and reclining in luxury, the flight attendants kept bringing wonderful dishes and offering wine to go along. After I had declined the wine for about a third time, a flight attendant came up behind me, leaned down close to my ear, and teasingly said, Mr. Hart, no one will ever know. Well, <laughs> shocked out of my blissful state and wondering what all she knew about me and how, I simply said, well, I would know, you would know, and then pointing overhead, I said, and most importantly, he would know. She said, got it, and brought more fruit juice instead. <laughs> that was an easy choice to make. The right choices in other areas are more, often more difficult to discern, particularly when choices are between several good options, like what academic major to pursue. And some choices are more pertinent to our salvation than others. For example, who we choose to marry is far more critical than what type of car we decide to buy. We need not be left alone in the decisions that we make, big or small in our mortal schooling experience. President Ezra Taft Benson explained, Usually the Lord gives us the overall objectives to be accomplished and some guidelines to follow, but he expects us to work out most of the details and methods. The methods and procedures are usually developed through study and prayer and by living so that we can obtain and follow the promptings of the Spirit. As illustrated by many scriptural examples, including Lehi's family, it is interesting in mortality to observe that not all children respond similarly to parental or other environmental influences. Part of this may be due to spiritual predispositions, as noted earlier. In terms of adhering to gospel teachings, we see considerable variation in how individuals respond to spiritual influences in this mortal existence. President Brigham Young noted this when he said, Some spirits are more noble than others. Some are more capable of receiving more than others. There is the same variety in the spirit world that you behold here, yet they are the same parentage of one Father, one God. There are also genetic and environmental factors involved. Elder Neil A. Maxwell said, Of course our genes, circumstances, and environment matter very much, and they shape us significantly. Yet there remains an inner zone in which we are sovereign unless we abdicate. In this zone lies the essence of our individuality and our personal accountability. We will likely need to wait until the eternities to understand how our spiritual personalities specifically interact with genetic and environmental influences in mortality. From an academic perspective, we can only systematically study a small portion of the full equation that involves only the interaction of biological and environmental factors in a millisecond of eternity. Our understanding of this small portion is slowly increasing. As an example, it was once simplistically thought that certain parenting practices typically lead to desired child and adolescent conformance and behavior. It is true that following certain parenting principles will increase the probability of obtaining desired outcomes for the majority of children and youth. Research shows that parents can make the most difference in teaching moral and religious values that can help their children make wise choices even in the face of biological urges or peer influences that would have them do otherwise. This is why parents who actively teach righteous living by precept and example, who strive to be connected with their children, who impose appropriate limits on behavior, and who allow appropriate latitude for child decision-making, 
are more likely to have well-adjusted children and teens. But there are many exceptions to these statistical trends, often in same families. More recent multivariate studies have also documented how susceptible children are to certain child-rearing influences and parental values depends in large part on their personalities, temperamental dispositions, and other biologically-based characteristics. Individual characteristics contribute to dynamic parent-child interactions that are influenced by a host of other factors across development, including cultural norms, educational practices, media, and peers, to name a few. Taking all these factors into account does not easily lead to predictable outcomes for all children and youth. In his encouragement of parents dealing with the many complexities associated with child rearing, President Brigham Young was well ahead of his time when he suggested that parents study children's dispositions and their temperaments and deal with them accordingly. President James E. Faust more recently reminded us that child rearing is so individualistic. What works with one child may not work with another. Most parents learn this pretty quickly. I once thought I had it figured out how to get one of my daughters to bed when she was young. After experimenting with a number of strategies beyond the bedtime story and prayer routine, I finally discovered that she went happily to bed if I gave her the option of me turning the light off or letting her do it. Well, that worked for about two weeks, but it was bliss. <laughs> when I later tried that strategy with my other daughter at about the same age, she simply responded to my choices of who would turn the light off by de definitively stating that she wasn't going to bed. But I did discover that swimming together into her bedroom on the floor like fish or jumping into the bedroom together like kangaroos did the trick for her. But only for about two weeks. Then it was on to more experiments to figure out what worked next. In conclusion, despite all that we have considered today, there is much about our premortal development and how our specific actions in the spirit world influence us in mortality that has not been revealed. Although secular knowledge somewhat explains how genetic-based characteristics and environmental influences interact to influence human development, there is an important spiritual dimension of our beings that cannot be readily probed by scientific means. What a wonderful blessing it will be if we are found worthy to learn from our Heavenly Father about how our spiritual personalities and biology are intertwined according to His foreknowledge in preparation for individualized schooling experiences in mortality. We have much to look forward to learning in that celestial university on high. Elder Merrill J. Bateman, in an earlier devotional talk, put much of what we have contemplated today into perspective when he reminded us that the knowledge of the premortal world provides a context of mortality. This life is the second part of a three-act play. What a marvelous blessing it is to live in a day when this treasured knowledge has been restored by a prophet of God. I testify that we live in a time of continuing revelation from a loving Heavenly Father who is very interested in facilitating our eternal progression back into His presence. It is my hope and prayer that we will be more cognizant of our divine natures that are rooted in an existence that long preceded our birth into mortality. May we utilize the talents that we have been blessed with to further our Heavenly Father's plan of happiness for our brothers and sisters. And may we make good choices in life that are commensurate with our eternal identity and the decisions that we made in the premortal realm. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for a half hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. 
Today's theme was Following the Path of Truth. Craig H. Hart gave his message entitled, Our Divine Nature and Life Decisions. Speeches on Finding Center are often edited for broadcast. Find links to the full talks and access the rest of our Finding Center episodes on the free BYU Radio app, available wherever you get your apps. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.